Hello, great uh, everybody. Today, I am so honored to be here with one of my biggest mentors and inspirations that when I started in real estate back in 87, I was fortunate to work in a real estate company with women that were the most inspiring, determined, and um, motivational, helping younger real estate agents break into the industry. And all these years, I've always remembered her. I remember her stories. And uh, her name is Donna Viking. And uh, she is actually a um, still a real estate broker, uh, Donna Viking at Global Luxury in uh, Kailua, Hawaii. And I called her Blanker. And uh, I um, happened to be here in Hawaii today, and I wanted to meet with her. And she was so gracious to take some time off her busy schedule to meet with me. And she has so much wisdom and so much knowledge about the business and also inspiring me and other women that broke into the industry and changed their lives. And I would like to share some of her experiences with everybody. So thanks, Donna, for being here. It's my pleasure, Laura. Yes. And uh, tell me a little bit about how did you, what uh, happened in your life to shift you get into real estate? Because you got in real estate a little later in life, you know. Not, yes, I did. Yes. yes what did. happened? Where are you coming from? I've been a registered nurse all my life. And uh, my husband, a uh, pilot in the Navy, when we married, I thought I was going to be a registered nurse the rest of my life. We moved uh, after Brussels in five years with NATO and a command in California. We were fortunate enough to move to Hawaii. And uh, I first set out to get a job. You have uh, two in private school and one in college. It motivates you. Mm -hmm. So I looked up the nursing possibilities here, and uh, there was no union back in those days. Things were pretty grim for nurses. So I took a job at the uh, airport, the international airport, in a nursing facility. We took care of people who came to Hawaii for five days and bought four days of medicine and had to have some emergency care, a place where people who became ill could stay or their planes were uh, went on strike, perhaps, or the plane was not flyable. And it was a wonderful place owned by a nurse. And I worked for her for the magnificent sum of $4 an hour. Uh, I met a physician, a Navy physician and his wife who were from Chicago, which is my home. And he urged me to make a change in my profession. It's really hard to do. I made the switch by going to evening classes and daytime classes at the University of Hawaii in the real estate and urban development. I thought, well, if I'm going to change, let's do something that's a little different for um, a reason that at that time I did not look for a career in real estate specifically. I just wanted to educate myself about this new place that we were about to live for the next four years. Um, I did so. I liked the teacher. He was Surfer Joe, but he pressed his jeans. I kind of like that. And when I would wait outside the room when I finished an exam, he asked me if I was going to go into real estate. I said, I'm thinking of it. And he said, well, if you do, you should go to Dolman Associates. They hire people like you. And I thought, like me. So I started looking at their ads and yeah, I like their ads the best. They were the best in the paper. They were classy. They weren't pushy. They really presented themselves well. So after I um, uh, took my exam and passed my salesman's exam, uh, which was subsequent to the UH gig, because of course you have to go to real estate school, I made an appointment with Dolman Associates to meet the grand lady. She was the grand dom of uh, real estate in Hawaii. If she couldn't sell it, she bought it. But she was well-known and uh, an icon in the industry. I thought, I'm not going to start lesser. I'm going to start at the top. So I went in and I met her underlings, her vice president and her sales trainer. I went home that night to uh, the quarters at Makalapa, across from Pearl Harbor. I was cooking dinner and the phone rang and it was Mrs. Dolman. And she said she hadn't met me that day, but she wanted to ask me if I would become her executive secretary. And I thought, well, part of me was kind of pleased that someone would make a call back so quickly. But executive secretary? No, I wasn't quitting nursing to be a secretary. So I said, can I sell? I'm surprised I even asked, can I sell? And she said, no. And I said, well, then I'm not interested. She said, well, please come in. I'd like to meet you. And the rest is history. We got along. She was from Kansas. She came from a family of eight, hardworking, uh, single mom after dad abandoned them, I guess. And she ended up at Stanford and became a um, 
transplant to Hawaii because we had a territorial health in those days. They weren't a state. So she came out as a medical virologist for territorial health. And she, again, with two kids, decided that she needed to make more money, and she was strong. She went with a man. Most of the employers were men. Most of the real estate people were men in those days. It wasn't a woman's field. So she went with this particular man, and he told her that she was nothing but a stupid pumpkin head, and she would never sell a thing. I always liked that. I bought her an animated pumpkin one time. It was a... uh, Netsky, a Japanese Netsky, quite lovely, and uh, as an honorarium for her birthday and the fact that this man called her a pumpkin head and he was no longer in business and she was the queen of real estate in Honolulu. Don't you love that? So starting out, you take your courses, you learn, and you have a sales trainer that teaches you how to essentially stand up, shake hands, and say, how do you do? At least that was my feeling, but I already knew, so it wasn't hard. I remember when I sat for people, they wanted me because I could sit your open house and I could sell it. Uh, I started picking up people. And then again, you become a competitor. So maybe you're not so popular then, but that's the only thing you want to do is in sales. The first thing that I would say to you before I'm even going to pre-qualify you for being a broker is ask yourself, do you genuinely like what you're doing and do you? genuinely like the people you're working with. If you're not and you're false in any way, that comes through so loud and clear. And I think uh, if you're not genuine and you're not uh, interested in helping people, and that sounds so cliche and so, I don't know, Pollyanna, but I don't mean it that way. You have to really care about the person who walks in that door. There was a famous actor called Spencer Tracy. A lot of you may have known him because of his uh, relationship with Katherine Hepburn. But they asked him one time what was the secret of his acting, and he said, never let them catch you doing it. People started asking me, what is my secret for salesmanship? And I said, never let them catch you selling, because that's not what you want. You're not there to say, slam somebody up against a wall and say, how much money do you make? Where do you want to live? You know, Those are wrong. You have to know you, like you, and trust you to do business with you. So you need to work on those skills first. Now, I'm going to go back to the very beginning where I mentioned about Bai Dolman and her two kids. She put those two kids in the back seat of her car and she drove around and took them with her every place because she didn't have an opportunity. They didn't have car seats either. I mean, those kids were, she wasn't a good driver either, so those car (laughs) seats probably didn't do much for life and limb. But here's my thing. There's a time at which your kids need you. They need you desperately. When I would go visit my oldest son on the Big Island, you know, 30, 35 years into my career. Whoops. Sorry. That's my phone. That's Edith Bioff. They would uh, hide my phone. Not only would he hide my phone in this linen room, in his laundry room, but he would take the batteries out. And I said to him, Bill, was it that bad growing up? And he said, yes, Mom. You're on the phone all the time, Saturdays and Sundays. You're out doing what you have to do, which is sell and show property. You have open houses. You have brokers open on Thursday. You can't leave home when you have a child of 104 fever. You have to look to that family first. The other thing is husbands feel terribly neglected by women realtors. And let me tell you, you neglect your husband. Pretty soon he's sitting on a bar stool down at the yacht club that you're affording him to join. And he's meeting another woman on the bar stool. Those are not good signs. You have to always take care of the family first. When you have a sale, you treat that family and you treat your husband. A husband is a commodity that you can't afford to lose. And most women are in our profession and back in those times, they were divorced women. I Dolman was divorced. Most of the women in my office were divorced. We were great dressers. We were great entertainers. We were uh, really polished people. She didn't allow slacks either, so that's another thing. But the fact was, most of them were by themselves, and they were by themselves because they neglected the family life at home and particularly neglected the husband. It doesn't take long, for there's a certain amount of jealousy there as well when you're making more money than they are. So I got that off my chest in the very beginning. Uh, Going on, I just wanted to say that when I met Laura, I felt very strongly about people coming into a field and coming into it and doing it right. 
you need to invest in other people. You need to mentor other people because when you start, your only way of making friends and coming in, I didn't grow up in Hawaii. I didn't go to Punahou School in Hawaii. I wasn't part of the Junior League in Hawaii. I had come after so many years living in uh, Japan, Europe, Greece, Italy, Sicily. I had Polish, but I didn't know people. I'm on a military housing base, you know, for upper uh, officers. But nevertheless, you can't turn around and sell to your husband's friends and where he works. I have always avoided that as much as possible. When they find out that you're really good, they'll come to you. But don't make them feel guilty because they haven't hired you. You know, sometimes that's a conflict of interest anyway. Um, I just want to say that when the time is ripe, you will know. But you can protect yourself by going in and not knowing anybody, by if you're in that town for a long time, be known for doing good deeds. Be known for being generous with your time, with your talents. Uh, people know your name then when you go into real estate. And it's a lot easier than it was for me moving cold to a large city where I had never lived before. Um, you, The good deeds you do should be motivated by your desire to help people not to get your name in the paper and use it as a tool. Uh, people see through that. I guess I'm very conscious of it because I don't, I don't personally dislike it. We used to laugh when someone of prominence would die here. And I always wanted to go to the funeral just to see all of the real estate agents showing up because they felt that they didn't dare bury old Sam here unless they'd all been in there and been visible so that they get old Sam's house to sell. You know, that's kind of sleazy, isn't it? Yes. It's sleazy, Laura. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember like what you said, you know, as far as not being salesy, that for you, first of all, the passion about real estate, you know, is something that you and Vi Dolman taught me about really loving the business, loving being out there of service, not only to obviously uh, clients, but also to other new agents, people like yes. me that 23 years old wanted to break into the industry. But you had a story that was published in the paper about you, where your car broke down or you had to have yes. a tire change oh, yeah. on the side of the yes. highway. And, uh, you were, um, you want to tell a story a little bit? Well, sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, as a salesperson, and you become one, uh, opportunity presents itself every day. You never meet anyone by accident. I have decided that a long, long time. Sometimes it was reaching out for medical purposes and being an advocate for medical uh, emergencies for people. Uh, always examine the fact why you met somebody. It was an opportunity to create a friendship uh, the return isn't immediate, you know, it isn't, you're not looking for an immediate return. In fact, you're not looking for a return in most cases at all, but it always comes back to you when you least expect it. So I had a car problem, pulled to the side of the road, met the man, he asked me what I did. And I told him that I sold real estate. And um, I remember trying to pay him. So I found out where he lived and I did send him a check later on. And when he was looking for an investment, he looked for me. Uh, never thinking that when the guy helps me change a tire that later on I'm going to sell him his first property and his second and his third. Um, it comes in unexpected ways. And I think one of the nicest things that I could say about the business is it gives you an opportunity not only to help people, but uh, when you're trying to work for a kid's education or help as a single mom, it's one of the best things that you can do because you'll find out that people are on your side. Uh, they want to help you. Um, you know, I loved first-time buyers because I wanted to take the challenge of finding something that was affordable for them, but I wanted to make the experience something that they would think back on always with great joy that you help them every way that you could. They call me auntie now, which is a honorarium in the state of Hawaii after a certain number of years. Frankly, when you get old, you get to be called auntie or uncle. But uh, people who have remembered me way back, um, it's always pleasant. And I went into the bank to cash a check and a man was in there because I used to teach real estate for the board. Uh, people paid 15 whole dollars to hear me sometimes at hotels and things. There were five of us that would do this. They called them the board superstars. But uh, he was my teller. He cashed my check and he looked up and he said, I know you don't remember me, but I was in one of your classes. 
And he said, I never forgot what you taught me. He said, I didn't make it in real estate, but I've used it in life ever since. And I thought, this is terrific when somebody remembers you from, you know, 25, 30 years back, like Laura has done today. Yes. Uh, and you feel that in some way you touch their life in a, in a positive way. Um, Laura, there are times that um, we all have uh, traumatic times in our lives. And my middle son was diagnosed with brain cancer and he uh, was given six months to live. I knew I had to make those six months important, but I knew that I had to leave Hawaii to find centers of excellence in order to help him. So I didn't broadcast this, but I cut down on my real estate first. And I took him to centers of excellence at UCSF, UCLA, and Cedar sinai And uh, Jim ended up surviving seven years before his death. Uh, but it was a different time in a life for me, but I'd used the same skills. I made friends at Cedar sinai I'm not a Kardashian, but they treated me like one. That's what was so nice. Um, every place you go, you leave behind you a reputation, and you start building that reputation the day you set your mind to whatever skill it's going to be, whether it's nursing or you want to be an engineer or whatever it is. Um, you don't leave people tumbling in the weeds behind you. I, I don't know how to explain that any other way, but um, my biggest problem was I got too busy with too much and I didn't get those Christmas cards out and I didn't do those things. I, I found that I couldn't divide myself into all of those pies, but I was meeting new people every time. Never missed an opportunity to do an open house. People called for rentals. We don't make money off rentals, but I would take them out and show that to them. First thing you learn is uh, they don't worry about your schedule and they don't show up and they stand you up. So you're self-taught. You say, okay, next time you want to see this rental, you call me when you're leaving town. Then I will go out there. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. You learn a lot of stuff the hard way. But work for the senior agents. If they need help doing something, offer to help them. Don't ask for compensation for everything you do. Um, who Those people you meet on the way up, you meet on the way down. And they'll remember you for what you were, um, say, at that time. Now, practical things. Uh, what, how do you pick a company? You go and interview a lot of companies. You are not going to be a fast Eddie if you're in this business for a long period of time. Um, you want to have a place that actually cares about the agents. I used to joke with Mrs. Dolman, uh, you know, it's like running a house of ill repute to have all these <laughs> female agents we had a couple men, not, they don't stay long, but we had a couple men, but for the most part, it was a woman, it was a woman's uh, company, uh, but known, we were called the Dolman Dollies. I'm also putting that in there because we all had to dress well. Yes. Uh, if you, if by Dolman came to your open house on Sunday and you were barefoot at the door, because in Hawaii customarily remove your footwear, she'd look you up and down and go, luau feet and walk past you. You heard on Monday morning that she wanted you wearing stockings at that door and always looking good. You never know when you meet a client. If you're in Safeway and you're picking over the lettuce group and you've put on your oldest schmata in the entire universe, that's when you're going to meet the client of your life across the thing when you least expect it and the person you wanted to maybe impress the most and there you are. So again, Never take a second chance to make a first impression. Those are all things that people who on the circuit and sell their little, oh, they used to be cartridges and the tapes. Everybody comes through town. I went to every dog and pony show from everybody who was wearing white shoes and a white belt and selling their tapes and things. And I began to wonder, there's no rehearsed dialogue for real estate. You know, there's no thing that you try to memorize. Well, she says that, you know, if you like this house, you shouldn't do it. No, don't memorize your dialogue. If you can't be sincere and think up what you want to say that is going to convince that client that they should use you as their broker, uh, work on your skills somehow. Do something. Go to Toastmasters. Learn to talk to people. Yeah, and that's what I always say is like, because people ask me all the time, do you have a script? And I was like, no, you don't have a script. Because you're there, you know, even with investment real estate, you're there to solve somebody's problem. You're going to go in the house, sit at the kitchen table, and listen to their story. And, they, you know, and the empathy will come through. You know, people understand if you're there really to help them or if you're just looking for yourself. 
and so I tell people, you know, you might have sold a hundred houses last year, made all this money, but never show up like you have, you know, show humble. And even if you have 30 years in the business, like now I have, I never use big words or anything like that. You want to be humble. And that's why it's going to make a difference than anybody else. Because I said, you know, you don't have competition. There is only one like you. There is only one like Donna. There is only one like Laura. And people are going to pick up on that. So, you know, I would like to ask you, what are three recommendations you make for any woman that want to start into the business, knowing what you know today? Have a stable home life. Don't switch to this because you need to get out of the house. Um, you know, I started with a two-door Volvo, mustard yellow. Oh, God. And the first person I took out in that car was a very famous writer of medical mysteries. If I mentioned his name, you would know. Sorry. Uh, and his new wife, they were staying at the Royal Hawaiian, which is a very elite hotel out here. And I pulled up in my little mustard yellow two-door car and uh, the wife had to sit in the back seat. He sat in the front seat. She had a diamond the size of an ice rink. Uh, she was unimpressed because I didn't have a limo to take her around in. But, you know, I found out that uh, I didn't let him know that I recognized him. He called and I had floor duty, but I didn't let him know that I knew who he was and this famous author of Medical Mysteries. Uh, but before I took them back to the hotel, and I gave him a lot of information, but I was probably too green for him at that time, and frankly, I don't think he bought anything. But uh, when I took him back to his hotel, I said, when you write, do you have a schedule? Do you get up in the morning and work from 8 till 12? Or do you have a set time? Or do you wait until the muse hits you? I was interested in everybody I worked with. I wanted to have them, number one, talk to me, do more listening than talking. Secondly, I wanted to pick up something from everybody with whom I worked. I wanted to find out what made them tick or did they have a... a a thought that maybe I could use myself that would improve me and my abilities or be interested, truly interested in them. When I asked the question how disciplined he was in his writing was because I had been a fan of his books for years, but I didn't gush over him. I didn't tell him I recognized him. It wasn't until we were almost back at the hotel that I asked him if he was a disciplined writer because I wanted to know. You need to be a disciplined broker. And if you've got a lot going on in you, it's flying at you at every direction in the world it's hard for you to it's hard for you to keep on track with what you intend to do uh, people want you to concentrate and fully committed to them they don't want to know that you have to go to the dentist they don't want to know that you uh, have a cold and that you don't feel well they don't want to care if you need a haircut or your manicure done they want to know that you are available to them 24 7 and it's hard to do that. It's very, very hard to do that because you're like a piece of pie that's being just taken in all many pieces and there's everybody wanting your time and your commitment. You've got to make sure that you still set aside part for your personal, part for your business. But when you begin, there's no personal. It's all business. Are you able to do that? That's the first thing. The second thing, are you financially stable enough? Because the fees to get into real estate are high. Um, the education is expensive. The continuing education is expensive. Uh, getting your license, joining the board, getting your E&O insurance is expensive. This is not for people who are pinching pennies. You can't do it. You've got to afford to keep your car in good shape and have a decent car. I upgraded my car to a four-door as soon as I could afford it, you know, and I did. And after that, I drove Jaguars. And I was known, everybody in town waved to me because there I was with this uh, overpriced car that was in the shop all the time, but boy, they knew you had a personalized play, right? Uh, you have an identity sometimes and with the people you're working with. Now, I sold to my roofer. My roofer is an ordinary guy, uh, has the language that doesn't get refined, and sometimes I had his three kids in the back seat with me when I took Herbie out. But Herbie knew that I cared about him and I wanted him to have a great house and that I cared for him. But I genuinely did, and he knew it. So I work with a Herbie and I work with a guy who's got the, you know, $30 million house. 
the Japanese client when they came. You, there's books out that teach you how to deal with other cultures. You should do that. If you're in a town in um, the Midwest where everybody is Polish, okay, then you only have to learn one thing. You, you should learn something of the language because some of the people are still using it, okay? But you have to learn the manners and the ways of different cultures because you want to be the broker for everybody. You don't want to be just the broker for the wasp who wants to buy the, you know, middle place house. If that's your intention, then fine. Uh, if it's not, you've got to be able that people relate to you, no matter what their background, no matter what their monetary status is, um, and keep abreast of what's going on around you. Don't talk. In, in nursing, they tell you don't discuss sex, politics, or religion. I usually bring it up in the first sentence and get all three down at once so that I can, you know. But what I'm saying is uh, you're going to have to refine what you do, be careful what you say, and not step on anybody's, I guess, being saying PC. Don't talk politics. Don't talk religion. And never drink in front of your clients. They go out to lunch and you buy them lunch. They Everybody expects you to pick up the tab. Uh, no matter how many martinis they have, never drink with a client. Never drink with a client. Maybe after you've sold them, you can, but don't drink with a client while you're working with them. That's a inviolate rule, and I really believe in it very much. Um, don't dress seductively if you're a woman. Um, some guy may want to sit in the front seat with you while you drive him around looking at property while his wife is in the back seat. But I can tell you after the third time where he starts uh, panting because you're showing your knees, uh, she's moving on to another agent. You know, right. you, you're you're selling real estate. Be professional. Be professional at all costs and at all times. But I always tell you, uh, be abreast of what's going on around you, what politics are going on. You have to know. Uh, there was a big ad in the paper, well, it was an article in the paper this week. One of the large firms here in Hawaii is being sued, and it's a massive suit. They sold a house for $2.3 million and asked the man to honor the uh short-term rentals uh, for until November, closing in June. Well, if you are not on reading the paper and are interested in what's going on around you, short-term rentals right now in Hawaii to unlicensed properties owners, uh, they're doing away with it. You can't do short-term rentals in certain neighborhoods unless you have a license for short-term and there's certain areas you can't do it. Well, no one talked that told that to him. And it's been in the papers all the time. You've got to be aware of what's going on with your legislature. So they sell this house, this $2.3 million house, with the idea that he's going to honor the present owner's short-term rentals. They're illegal now there. So he's found out that he can't do this. So he's suing because he invested. He was from Texas. And he invested thinking that he can turn his big mansion into a B&B. Uh, that's how lawsuits start. A lawsuit start because you didn't fully inform people of what's going on around you. If you don't know what's going on around you, you can't tell the client. You can't be blindsided by stuff in real estate. You better stay on top of everything in your industry. Know your neighborhoods. Now, if you're selling in Dallas and Fort Worth, that's a big area. You almost have to take a helicopter you know, over the city to see what's available. Hawaii's not that big. But when I get somebody who wants to buy on the Big Island, and I own a piece of property on the Big Island, and I have a son on the Big Island, but I don't know the market on the Big Island. I don't know the neighborhoods. I don't know where there's you know helicopters flying overhead all the time or um, a, a water bloom with algae that's going to drive people out because it smells in the springtime or something. Only deal with what you know. And don't be afraid to refer it out. If somebody asks you to do something that you feel uncomfortable doing as far as real estate is concerned, like don't tell them, but I'm using this for an investment, but I'm buying it as an owner-occupant because I don't want to pay the points and things like that, you get away. No sale is worth you compromising your values, and no sale is worth doing anything that's fraudulent or something. Another realtor this last year uh, participated in a money laundering scheme. And the FBI found her, so she's not only disgraced, she lost her job and she lost all of her clients and her credibility. It's so tempting when you're dealing with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. True. No, I, I, like you said, I've been in the industry for so long, you know, you see a lot of horror stories, you know, and it's like, you know, and that's what it distinguishes pe the people that have longevity in the business, you know, like mm -hmm. you have or I have, 
obviously we've seen the good and the bad. Now, what are things that you would have done differently? What's something that you say, you know, if I was today, I would not do this, especially starting out? That's a hard question. It's a good question, Laura, but it's a hard question. What would I have done differently? Well, I plunged in. I held my nose. I plunged in. I dressed up, um, did every open house, showed every rental, uh, followed up with everything. Um, that's how I built my business, I guess. And then I, I got referred, and that was the thing. You can't get referred without giving the kind of service that made somebody happy. But on the other hand, asking for a sweet letter. I will tell you that's something I don't like, and I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't say the negative things. But I've had people, when they sell, if I sold to Laura, and then I wrote a fan letter to myself, and I put it in front of Laura at escrow, and I said, Laura, would you sign this? It's a fan letter for me that I'm going to use for marketing and things like this. I think asking for compliments is gross. I think probably what I would have done to do over, because I was so busy, so fast, and successful so fast for so many years, I think I would have better been better on, on follow-up. On the other hand, let me just say this about that. I just sold a house from that I sold to a doctor um, in 2006, and he called me up and said, I hope to God you're still working because I'm taking a new job in Tacoma and um, I wouldn't use anybody but you. That's nice. The reputation that you build today lives on forever. I think uh, what I would have done more is probably have a better follow-up system. Uh, we didn't all have assistance in those days. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the computer. You understand that right. I bought my first fax machine from Sharper Image and I carried it with me everywhere. And my boss, Mrs. Dolman, had not bought a fax machine yet. She th kind of thought it was a glorified typewriter. And I was working with clients. This is in the 80s, early 80s. I was working with a lot of clients in Hong Kong because I had met one and I gave good service. They introduced me to somebody else and they introduced me to somebody else. And I actually went to Hong Kong twice and stayed with them. So what I'm saying to you is when it starts to grow and it gets beyond what you can handle, hire somebody. Uh, people wanted me personally to do everything. They don't like an assistant uh, in many cases. And then you, you start to distance yourself and you say, I'll have my assistant call you or my assistant will set up the appointment. When you start talking too much about your assistant, you kind of make them lose the track that you are the star of their universe and you are the apple of their eye. They say, well, why do I need her? I can just find somebody with an assistant or do this on computer now. I would say that that is the biggest thing that you should not do is fail to personalize your service. Uh, don't brag too much about yourself because people kind of get tired of hearing somebody patting themselves on their back all the time. But um, it gets around that you are the person to go to. But when you start getting five assistants... I worked with a lady in Florida, and then it started, uh, I've got some properties down there, and it's not turned out well for me because the managers are not available. But as she has grown, uh, she becomes more canned, her presentation. She emails me all the time, but it's really canned. Uh, she's got a team now. She has her own little team within her company kind of thing. But I've lost contact with her and I don't pick up the phone and call her anymore because she has gone to the team method so vigorously that uh, that's not the lady I met new, you know, and I want the lady I met new. Uh, I think that people want the person that they started out with and they like the person that they say, Donna, you haven't changed. Well, yeah, in 40 years, you bet I have. But the point is they want to know, am I still interested in their kids, their dogs, when you go meet somebody for a listing appointment, first place you get there 10 minutes early and sit out in front. You don't need your purse. You don't need, you put your lipstick on in the car. You go in ready with your paperwork. You ask where you may sit. Don't sit in the master's chair because the dog will sit in front of you and look at you and say, what are you doing in daddy's chair? Um, but you learn and write it down if you don't have a good memory. I happen to have a good memory, but you learn the names of the kids. 
uh, at open house, you learn the names of the kids. And I don't follow up. I don't call everybody who came to my open house. Nobody goes home. They want to watch 60 minutes and put their feet up. They don't want to talk to you on a Sunday night. But I used to buy picture postcards. Remember I told you if about selling, don't let them catch you doing it? Right. I used to buy picture postcards. And I would take them to the open house. And when the people left, and if I had their name, I wrote the picture postcard and say, I enjoyed meeting you, John and Sally, and your two kids, uh, Ginger and Joel. And um, uh, thank you for stopping by. You made my day. Sign your name, put it a first-class stamp on it straight, and put it in the post office on your way home because that postcard will be delivered to them the next day. Now, if they have a mailbox, a post office box, you ever seen people at a post office box? They got, a, they got the mailbox open and they're sitting there and they're flipping the stuff into the round file on the floor, which is the base box. They're not even reading it. They read a postcard. You've handwritten that postcard. They'll read it. And, you know, if you made any impression at all, and I've had kids say, Mommy, I really like her. Well, boy, is that ever the, that's the greatest compliment you can possibly have. If you go to their house and the dog likes you, that's even better, you know. Um, I'm just saying to be yourself at all times. Don't try to mold yourself into something you're not because being phony shows through. Uh, I trained a lot of guys that did come to the company. Maybe they didn't always stay, but I trained a lot of guys. And somebody would say, what did she teach you? Well, she taught me to put the toilet seat down. And fold the towels. And I said, yeah, I go into houses where there's tenants. They don't like you being there in the first place. It doesn't hurt my ego to load the dishes up in a pan and stick it under the counter. You know, it doesn't hurt me to make a bed if I have to. Um, I take cleaning things in the back of my car. And if somebody's been out working on their car and they've got grease on the front door, I take that off. I don't have the kind of ego that says I'm too good to be doing that kind of thing. It's those little things, attention to detail, that makes the house more appealing to the people that are going to come in and open house. I did the usual things. I used to buy frozen bread, put it in the back window of my car in the morning so it would thaw and then pop it into a pan and bake it in their oven during open house. Well, it's hard as a rock when you leave, but you take it home and put it out for the birds. I used to do, um, oh, chicken legs are great, and just pour barbecue sauce, Casey barbecue sauce, and put it in a slow cooker and put it in the kitchen. People come in, and they're absolutely salivating. And then you unplug it, take it home, and you have dinner made. Sorry. Sorry. That's my husband, everybody. Uh, I still got him 62 years later. Uh, so you do something right, Laura. But uh, those aren't tricks. That's just stuff that just makes a house more homey and comfortable. And because I was the only one doing it, people commented on it. I staged before there was staging. You know, I brought pillows, blankets, things. I put things around that were interesting. Um, and then, you know, when you ask somebody why they bought the house they're asking you to list, you ask them, what was it that made you buy this house in the first place? And one guy told me, he said, well, my wife liked the fact that when she put the orange juice on the table in the morning, the sun came in the kitchen window and it was shining through the orange juice. And she found that to be so homey. So we bought that house. Minor thing, but that's a story to tell on the way out, isn't it? Right. You know, tell them why somebody else bought the house. Um, you know, the first thing is the buyer is not your enemy. And I start out by telling you they have to know you, like you, and trust you to do business with you. How do you do that in 15 minutes in an open house? You do it by talking to their kids, finding out, I'm good with that. Um, I like to talk with kids, find out what grade they're in, what they like to do, and what have you. And that allows parents to go through a house. I'm strict. I don't allow people jumping on beds and opening things that are personal. Sometimes you have to step in and do it, but that's something that comes with being uh, an observant person. I don't want somebody coming into my house and opening up and going through my papers. People will do that. They feel entitled when they go to an open house that they can look at anything because it's open. Therefore, I can come in. Um, don't be so aware of what it is. It's not all about you. It's about the customer. Right. It's about the customer. Making the customer feel good. If you have that ability to do it, you're probably a good hostess too. Doesn't hurt to uh, send a bottle of wine over sometimes or drop by and leave something in the mailbox. Those 
serendipitous things. It doesn't look so planned. Doing a mass mailing to 400 people, that's about as friendly as going to a country and not speaking the language. You know, always do what you can for the customer. It's so important. Laura, I knew you would be a success no matter what you did. You look people in the eye. You are educated. You dress well. You take care of yourself. But you've landed back on my doorstep today how many years later? And I haven't forgotten you, and you haven't (laughs) forgotten me, okay? Uh, It's that impression that you make of kindness, goodness, and willingness to help somebody that attracts you to him. You can always learn to do the math. You can always learn to find out what the uh, handouts, you know, with interest rates and things like that. Cultivate a surveyor that will come over and survey two nights before that place is supposed to close because you've been nice to him all these years. Uh, Termite guy, get a good termite guy that you trust because you may need him, you know, but treat these guys really well. You are not a success without having a good escrow officer. Uh, Be loyal. Be loyal to people. They'll be loyal to you. You have your team, but they're not on your team as far as, you know, on paper where people think that you pulled back and you've got your team handling it. They are your unseen team that keeps you looking good. That's what I always say. You know, you are the brand. You are the name. Yes. People talk to you, Donna. People talk to me, Laura. What we have behind helping us and everything else, you know, they're not mentioned. You know, because at the end of the day, they want to do business with you and me. That's right. And so I definitely do that all the time. I've always done that as an investor, as a realtor, and also as a mentor. You know, I have a team, I have marketing, everything else, but they don't know about them. They know about me. I'm the one that shows up. I'm the one that coaches people. I'm the one that hosts the retreats, live events, and I'm always in the forefront because at the end of the day, people, like you said, they hire you for you and trust you. So that's very important. So, and you've been in the business a long time. You know, I've been in the business now since 87, so it's 32 years. You've been in the business even longer, and you keep being in the business. So what, is, what drives you? What drives you to keep doing this? Well, I just had this comment before Laura came, uh, discussing in our office about the Christmas party. And in the last couple of years, I have been very uh, anti-Christmas party. I feel that there's so much need in the state of Hawaii, particularly on our island in uh, Honolulu. Uh, There's a lot of kids going hungry. There's a lot of kids going without toys and things like this. And I think that it almost looks like self-aggrandizement to throw yourself a Christmas party at a time when uh, many of the agents are women and they're already divided, you know, taking care of all of the Christmas and holiday things. Uh, at that time, and uh, they're overcommitted, and I think overcommitment and uh, stress is not a good thing for health-wise. I feel that we should take the money and give it to charity instead, uh, give toys for tots for things, doing things, thing, something like that. Charity at Christmas seems to be important, um, and that's not a cliche. I feel strongly. I still want to become involved because I was so invigorated by, it's not the monetary return, it never was. The first day I went into that file drawer and I sold a house for $400,000 in a neighborhood that is now $4 million, I was absolutely aghast because at $4 an hour, my first job here, uh, it would have taken me, what, how many years to make $8,000 that I made in that commission? I'd never seen a check that big, honestly. Um, And I thought, wow, this is pretty good. And here's the bottom line. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I loved doing it. And my goodness, I just found out I made money doing it. If you can make money doing what you absolutely love, then I encourage you to do it. When it becomes drudge and you hate it, then you need to find a different occupation or something like this. What drives me now is... I want to take care of the people I took care of a long time ago. I want them to remember me as this doctor just did, and they want to call me up because they say, Donna, you always made it so easy for me. I relax. Now, do I spend money? You bet. I'm doing my taxes now, and I'm getting at the end, and I'm going, oh, my God, did I spend that much on that listing? But it was a woman who's now a widow. I sold him the house for um, 
700,000 in 1996. I just turned around and sold it for 1,775,000 last November. Okay. But I took care of her bills. She lives in Hong Kong now with her children as a widow. Uh, She needed a lot of help and I stepped in and did for her and she gave me power of attorney. You would be surprised how many powers of attorney I have had over the years. My boss went nuts. Vi Dolman said, oh, my God. She says, this is terrible. You're putting me. I said, Vi, only if I do something wrong. And I've never done anything wrong. To be the recipient of people's powers of attorney is better than any praise they can give you because they really trust you under those circumstances. But I take over and I do everything for them. I would chew their food for them. They don't have to worry about a thing. I pay for the appraisal because I want an appraisal going in so they don't have a dream because their banker, their mother-in-law, or some neighbor says, well, you ought to get this for your house. They're not professionals. We are. Uh, If you go in with overpriced, you will work for free for a year, and then some other broker will come in and take your listing because you couldn't sell it in a year. So you ask yourself if that is uh, what you want out of life. You can't spend it if you don't earn it. But when you get into the stage where you can, be more generous with your um, your time, your money, and uh, particularly everybody who writes me signs love. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, the Japanese told me they didn't have a word for love, but this one uh, high owner of a company used to sign his things to me, love, munechka which was really nice because I changed the way he thought that business should be working with an American woman. Uh, I opened the doors for him. You bet I did. I used to feel so repressed at the end of the day. I wanted to scream because I was in such proper mode all day long. But I changed the way he thinks about American women in business. I already knew how he thought as a Japanese man because I lived there, but I also read up on it. I know what's polite. I know what's expected to me. I know that I had an Arab client who still exists uh, in Demam, and I had political talk with him. I sold a house in his neighborhood, and he used to come over every Sunday, and we would argue about the Koran. But in a nice way, I never, you know, insulted him. So he asked me to sell his house, which I thought was cool. I will tell you a postscript of that. When he used to come back in the summertime and bring his wife and the three children, uh, we would go out to dinner. But it would be my husband and uh, Muhammad and me. And I would tell my husband, don't order a drink (laughs) because Muhammad, you know, is Saudi Arabian. And so my husband wouldn't order a drink. He'd order iced tea. I would order iced tea because I don't drink with clients. And... Uh, Muhammad would order a scotch. So my husband raised his hand and said, okay, I changed my order. I want a scotch. <laughs> See, they come back to you. They come back to you, come back to you, and they think about you. And they think about you when you were, when you last expect it. You'll get a call from somebody that says, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is Laura, and I knew you in the 80s, and we had a wonderful time together. And I said, you tell me where you want me to be and when, and I will be here. Because I love telling you what a great inspiration you are to me to call me at this age. And what a great person you are to pass this on to other women and to inspire them. I wish to goodness I have one granddaughter. She's 12. I won't be around to see her when she's 25. But I got to tell you this. I wish that I could inculcate in her service to others, uh, be yourself, Never bully anybody. Start that early. Don't bully yourself as a, don't bully people when you're an adult either, because it's easy. You start getting full of yourself and you start bullying people. Don't do those things. You know, just play with people like you're back in the sandbox and everybody should get along. Just be more sophisticated about it and more up on the news so you don't get sued when the guy finds out you didn't listen to the news about what short-term rentals. They're paying big time. I have loved talking with you. Anytime you want to talk to me, you call me because I'm great long distance. I'm a great communicator with you. I would love to inspire more women. Anything that I can do for women to make their life better. You look at Dolly Parton up there and I thought, God, look at that blonde wig and that 
facelift and everything else, but boy, do I admire her because she comes off the air and I feel good about everything because I want to be in a room with somebody like that. And I would say the last thing, don't be around people that drag you down. If anybody's negative about you, about your going into business, about your prospects for uh, success, cut them out of your life. You can't do that. If you run with a crowd at your new brokerage, uh, don't go out with a group of 10 people because all they want to do is go to lunch. They want to see the listings and then go to lunch. They're more about lunch than they are about learning the market, learning the territory. Learn to be a loner. You can't always reach out. There are times when you need advice and you have a person that you can go to for advice in real estate because you don't want to be in harm's way or do anything bad for anybody. But be a loner because this is a loner business. You're yeah. building your own business. Right. And it's all I always tell people, you know, you can you have somebody that you can trust is only yourself. Yes. Go with your gut feeling. You know so much more than you think. You know, and it's being a woman, that's a part about women, we're very intuitive. And so trust ourselves is one of the biggest things I've learned over the years that in the beginning, and I've tried, I've listened to a lot of people, and not a lot of people were doing my best interest, they're doing theirs. But when I start listening to my gut feeling, that's when I really start being successful. So, I really want to thank one of the things I always say to everybody you know, find somebody to look up to in the beginning and follow in their footsteps. You know, find somebody that has done what you want to do and follow in their footsteps, and that's what I've done with you and by. You know, you have inspired me in every single way. And then I took what I learned from being just a few years with you, from 87 to 91. And then when I moved the rest of my career, I've always done very well because I've always gone back to what I learned from you. So thanks again for being a, such a great mentor. You are a beautiful woman inside and out. Thank you. It shines through you. And when you meet people, uh, people can't resist you, Laura. They know that you've got your best interests. They know that you're going to do right by them. They know that you're caring. You can't paint that on somebody. You can't pretend. You know, somebody walks out and has a different personality in the car and a different personality here. How can they live with that many different personalities? You've got to be dig down, find out what you are actually worth as a person, and then that's what people look to for you. Thank I'm you. so happy that you're the success you are, and I can't take claim for it, but I will tell you this. Anything you, can, you need from me. You stay in touch. I will, definitely. Don't make it long time again. No, I won't. Okay. I won't. I love you. I love you, too. And warmest aloha. Warmest aloha to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Anything you need.